It is week 10 of the 2021 college football season, and this is the We Hate Your Team podcast with Kay Ford and Kinger. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Zach King. Kinger, how you doing this week? I am gassed up, as always, Kelly, coming off one of the better college football weekends that we've seen in, seen in some time. We talked about it on the live stream the other night, but really just an incredible slate of games last week from start to finish. Um, saw a real, real lot of upsets or a handful of upsets in the top 25 teams, really good competitive games from start to finish. We talked about a lot of them last week. It was a lot of fun, you know, getting gassed up again this week. First week of the college football playoff rankings. Uh, here we are again, bottom or last third of the season. We're nearing the end and uh, ready to talk some games and debate with you guys. There's certainly a lot happening in the college football world. You mentioned it. We did our live show recap of week nine. So that's on YouTube. We did it on Twitter, a live show reaction to the initial college football playoff selection committee rankings on Tuesday night. So um, lots and lots of content we're trying to put out there. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at we hate your team underscore to keep up with everything that we're putting out. Um, but enough about the live shows, enough about the recaps. This is the podcast, and it's my pleasure to introduce our guest this week. He is one half of the team known on Twitter as at College Football Nerds, and that is Josh. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. We're excited to have you on. And Josh, if you wouldn't mind, we'd appreciate if you took just a few minutes to share a little bit about your work in the college football space. Our channel is a channel that's sort of dedicated more to deep dives in particular games. I know you guys have uh, something of a growing following in the betting community, uh, our goal really is to look at particular big matchups and try to do deep statistical dives. Uh, we found a few years ago that, you know, at least in our opinion, there's sort of a dearth of content in the space of looking at all the things that make a particular game tick. Now, we look at it from an analytical angle, both in terms of mathematical statistics and in terms of trying to figure out where advantages and disadvantages lie in a particular game. But our channel really does focus on this idea that college football is a unique beast. Every game is very different. Uh, we, and you'll hear me talk about this a lot, really like to talk about how uh, differences in quality of play and scheduling come into bear because I think it's a unique thing to that sport. And it makes it really challenging to apply a lot of statistical uh, principles to uh, analyzing college football games just because you know, stuff that may, not, may work in like a pro context may not work in the college context. Uh, but our channel is College Football Nerds. We have a YouTube channel. It's got, I think, right over 30,000 uh, followers right now or subscribers. And then at uh, CFB Nerds on Twitter. This is sort of the two platforms we use. And, yeah, we try to pick usually two to four biggest games of the week. And then we do a live show at 10 p.m. on Saturdays uh, just to talk about whatever's happened on that game. Game day, you know. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. And yes, for all of our listeners who aren't familiar, I've been following CFB Nerds on Twitter for quite some time now. The content they put out is fantastic. If you're looking for good, rational, objective conversation about college football, CFB Nerds is the place to do it. Don't come at them with some crazy stats or some biased opinion because they're very quick to come in with, uh, with the facts and they'll shut you down, which I appreciate as an objective viewer of college football. But um, yeah, so thank you, Josh. We love your stuff. We're excited to have you here. Um, and as you mentioned, we're going to be picking some games. So you guys ready to get into this? Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. Uh, really quickly, before we do that, just as a reminder, we have a season-long competition going between Kinger and myself. 
Kinger did make up some ground this past week, um, but I'm still leading in the season-long competition. It's 117 to 112, so very, very close now. Make sure you're following us, as I said, on Twitter, at WeHateYourTeam underscore, and join the We Hate Your Team podcast pick'em group on ESPN, because the weekly winner will get a shout-out here on the show. We're up to 32 competitors now, last time I checked, and last week's winner was at... The Real Freed, who put up 38 points in what King said was a really, really tough week. So congrats, Freed, and let's see if we can top that number here this week. So the first game we're going to look at, guys, is a uh, game from Conference USA. We've got UTSA, who is not ranked in the CFP rankings, but is ranked, I believe, 16th in the AP poll, going on the road to UTEP, a team that's coming off a loss to FAU, but still 6-2 and two on the year. So big Conference USA matchup. King, you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely here. So you mentioned it, Kelly. You know, UTSA undefeated 8-0 on the season, not getting any love from the college football playoff committee tonight. A little bit shocked because if you take a look at the resume, I mean, they have a pretty decent string of wins that they've got together. They started the year, big win at Illinois. They beat Middle Tennessee State, Memphis, UNLV, Western Kentucky, and Louisiana Tech so far in succession this season. Uh, it's the first time in UTSA's 10-year program history that they have been ranked. They actually just rewarded their head coach, Jeff Trailer with a 28 uh, $28 million contract extension through the year 2032. So he's really got that program going in the right direction. So big matchup this week versus a UTEP team that I think is, is pretty good as well. Um, they stumbled last week. They did lose a three-point game to FAU. They were out of it early. But other than that, I mean, they've been very solid this season. They played a good Boise State team or pretty decent Boise State team on the road earlier and, and struggled in that game. But this is a game where the two very good defenses. UTEP is seventh overall in points per game allowed. They're third in the nation, only allowing 79 yards per game on the ground. UTEP's 11th, allowing 97 yards per game. They, UT, UTSA has a couple pretty solid players on the offensive side. Uh, Sincere McCormick, their running back's a workhorse. He's already got 900 yards in the season, almost 909 touchdowns. They've got a couple good receivers on the outside, both over 40 catches and 500 yards. And their QB, Frank Harris, is a pretty good dual threat. Um, you know, we already talked about the defensive side. One thing that I think they really have the advantage on is on that offensive side of the ball. If you look at UTEP, they've kind of got a struggling quarterback this year. Um, some real turnover prone. They've, they've struggled. They've got 17 turnovers this year. So I like this game. The over-under is 52 and a half. I do like it to be somewhat low-scoring competitive, but when you have on paper, I just don't think UTEP has what it takes on the offensive side of the ball to win this game. So 11-point spread, UTSA on the road. It might seem like a lot considering that UTEP does have a pretty good defense, but uh, this is one that I'm going to take pretty easily here. I think UTSA definitely has the ability to potentially go undefeated this season, so I'm going to take them in this first game with eight confidence points. Got it. Okay. I'll jump in next. Um, yeah, we mentioned UTSA not getting any love from the selection committee. If I had a say in that, I would have UTSA ranked 15th this week. Uh, I know they're 8-0 in, the in Conference USA. I know it's not a great league, but just um, the schedule that they face, opponent adjusted, the margin that they have in those games, um, winning margin, I'd have them ranked 15th. So I do think they're being undervalued both by the AP and now by the poll that matters, and that's the CFP rankings. But uh, looking forward here, I have this as the best UTSA team ever. 
And that's while they're playing at the highest level of college football. So it only goes back to 2012, but still almost a decade's worth of, of teams in the program. I have this as the best version of UTSA to date. And then on the other side, I actually have this as the best UTEP team since the Miners finished number 95 in 2014. So again, these are two teams in Conference USA who are playing really well, especially relative to the standard that they've set for themselves in their programs. Um, I like UTSA's offense uh, against U UTEP's defense here. You mentioned Cecir McCormack, but I actually think they're going to have more success maybe passing the ball in this game. It's just UTEP's defense actually from a success rate and from an explosiveness standpoint actually does a pretty good job against the rush. Um, so I, I do think that UTSA is going to be trying to exploit them um, with the passing game. And then on the other side of the ball, that's where I think there's a bigger mismatch here. I've got this as a top 40 unit. Um, a defense for UTSA going up against the 104th ranked offense of UTEP. So I really don't expect the Miners to be able to do much, whether it's running or passing. Um, success rates for both of those in the 80s, 90s, 100s there. So um, really don't see a whole lot happening for the UTEP offense. Think the UTSA offense will do enough to get this done. I've got UTSA as the number 47 best team in the country, UTEP number 108. So again, while this is the best UTEP team since 2014, Still not a great team relative to the rest of college football. So 86% win probability for UTSA. I'm taking UTSA, and I'm taking them with nine confidence points. Josh, what do you say? I'm also going to be taking uh, UTSA. Now, I'm a little less confident than you guys. I mean, I, I'm going to take them at six confidence points. I'll, I'll set that up uh, right to begin with. And the reason for that is the difficulty in projecting teams in the tier where they are. Now, I don't have my own generated ratings like you guys do. When we do our own modeling, it's just one team versus another. We don't actually generate a, a global uh, rating. It's a little bit of a different system than us. But one of the things that we look at when we generate our statistics it's sort of the sphere that you operate in, uh, looking at the difficulty of your scheduling and really trying to have an eye to the fact that college football, again, is largely determined by the level of competition. UTSA and UTEP, and I'm looking at uh, Brian Fromeau has some really good strength of schedule ratings that talk about elite average teams. If you were to look at just what an average team would do to their schedule, UTEP is, uh, uh, UTEP is 128th, UTSA is 128th. 20th in scheduling. So these are teams that have not played great schedules in that regard. Now, UTSA's name schedule, if you look at Illinois, Memphis, uh, I would even say Western Kentucky, there's some teams that are there that are decent names, but like Illinois is a team that's really in the bottom half of college football this year. Uh, that's still better than what UTEP puts forward. This is one of the easiest schedules in the country. And against that schedule, uh, you know, they've got two losses, which isn't too bad, right? But a close win against Southern Miss, you know, two-score win against Southern Miss is really, frankly, not very impressive. One-score win over Old Dominion, one-score win over New Mexico. Um, Florida Atlantic was a loss, and your other loss was a blowout to Boise. I think UTSA is in a little bit of a different tier uh, than UTEP. Now, the only reason I don't have them higher ranked, uh, to your point, offensively, UTEP doesn't seem to present much of a threat. But when you see a team, and, you know, according to the metrics I use, I have UTSA solidly in the 50s. That kind of a team can be vulnerable to a lot of things. They can be vulnerable to having on and off days. And I'm not 100% sold that they can go in and necessarily win automatically against a team like UTEP. But I do think uh, UTSA is in a little bit of a different class. And I do agree with you guys. I think it's one of the easier picks this week. Awesome. So to recap, uh, K Ford is on UTSA for nine points. Kinger on UTSA for eight and Josh from College Football Nerds is on UTSA for six. 
So the next game we're going to look at, Josh, we'll start with you. We're actually going to go to, I guess we call this the Hugh Freeze Bowl. We've got Liberty going on the road to Ole Miss. Josh, what do you make of this game? So this is an interesting one because obviously it's the matchup between Hugh Freeze and his old employer. You've got Lane Kiffin and a very banged up Ole Miss team. Now, something we've been talking a lot on our Twitter account is just how much of a state Ole Miss is in, right? Because they're, they lose their third starting wide receiver in that Auburn game. They're missing two linemen, including their starting center that's played uh, something that was, I think, something like 40 straight games before he came into that game. Uh, and you've got Matt Corral on two bad ankles. Plus, you've got a missing tight end. The two leading receivers for Ole Miss against Auburn were both walk-ons. And they had, I think it was 216 of 307 receiving yards in that game. So when you talk about Ole Miss, a lot of the year-long statistics, personally, I don't think they really apply. Uh, Ole Miss is a bit of a shell of the team they were before. They don't have anywhere near the explosiveness uh, offensively that they had before. You know, Mingo, Sanders, and Drummond gave them a lot of weapons. They're not on the field. But what they do have are some good running backs, and they have a defense that I think has been largely underrated. And to me, that's really the story of this game. Because if you look at Liberty and you look at the games they've won and the games they lost, one of the common denominators is they don't really want to throw the ball a whole heck of a lot. Uh, in, in their game against Syracuse, they threw you know 21 passes. In, in Louisiana Monroe, 28 passes. They don't want to get in the realm where they're throwing 30 to 40 passes in a game. They want to be able to rely on the run game. They want to be using Malik Willis as a runner and a thrower and have a balanced offense that uh, you know is sort of exploiting their advantages on the ground to score through the air. But against a team like Ole Miss, who may not be the best defense in the world, and especially uh, if you're looking at SEC standards, it's still going to be better than a lot of the teams they've played. And at times, again, Louisiana Monroe, five yards per play. Uh, Syracuse was held them to about six yards per play. They have been slowed down. And I think, again, and this is why I made a big point of it, classes of football are a thing. And Ole Miss is in a little bit of a different tier. There's a reason why this spread is nine and a half points. I have Ole Miss with an eight-point confidence level. I think Liberty is going to really struggle on the offensive end, and the focus is going to be on Ole Miss's offense, the injuries they have. But I think the truth of the matter is that Liberty is probably, in my opinion, going to struggle to score 30 points, might even struggle to score 20 points in this game against an Ole Miss defense that isn't fantastic, but is actually fairly average by SEC standards, which is still going to be much better than anything Liberty's played. Kinger, what do you think about this one? I'm going to echo pretty much a lot of what Josh just said there, and, and I'm not going to dive into this game too much further, right? I mean, if you look at Liberty in regards to who they've played this year, it just the strength of schedule just isn't there. And when you're as heavily reliant on the offensive side of the ball as Liberty is on Malik Willis, you know, he's leading the team in rushing and passing. He's a very intriguing scout for the NFL next year with his arm strength and his dual threat ability. But just on the road at Ole Miss, regardless of a few feet freeze returning home and how banged up Ole Miss is, I just don't see it happening. The level of competition just isn't there. And, and the biggest factor for me in this game is that running backs. They really do have a three-headed running. Ole Miss really does have a three-headed rushing attack. I mean, Corral was a part of that. It's not quite the same since he's been banged up on those with those ankles. But on the road, regardless of Liberty having a statistically pretty strong defense, they just haven't played a team in the SEC like Ole Miss thus far this season. So coming off the loss at Auburn last week, I like Ole Miss in the bounce back, and I have them at seven confidence points. Okay, and that leaves me. So 
This is in my in my by my numbers the eighth best game of the slate this weekend. It's got an average K4 team rating of 77. So th- two really good teams here, I think. This is the best Liberty team again ever at their highest competing at the highest level of Division One FBS football. Again, that's only since 2018, so even shorter than UTSA. But I do think this is the best Liberty team that we've seen. And then I have this is the best Ole Miss team since the Rebels finished number five back in 2015 under. You guessed it, Hugh Freeze. So um, I think both these teams are doing really well for their respective program trajectories. Um, the CFP had Ole Miss at 16 this week. I think that's a little bit low. I'd have them at 13 in, in a resume metric. But to me, this game is all about offense. Um, when Liberty has the ball, I've got this as a top 30 unit. Uh, Ole Miss's defense, 64th in my number, so almost dead average for the F, for FBS level. Um, so I expect Liberty to have some success here. Rushing, passing, I do think they're going to be able to put up some points. I, I hear... What you guys are saying about, well, they haven't seen Ole Miss and an Ole Miss, Ole Miss level defense yet, uh, and that's true. But I do think they're going to be able to put up some points. Um, unfortunately for Liberty, I don't think they're going to be able to put up enough points because, as I said, this game's all about offense, and the Ole Miss offense is really, really good. I've got them as the number eight offense in the entire country. Liberty defense hanging around number 50. Um, rushing, passing, I think Ole Miss is going to have the advantage both. Uh, this is a very explosive offense, uh, top five in explosiveness in rushing, top 25 in explosiveness passing. So they, they get big gains and they get them quickly. So I've got this as a 77% win probability for Ole Miss, who I have as the 15th best team in the country. Liberty, I've got number 49. So I'm going to take Ole Miss and I'm going to take them for seven confidence points as well. So to recap, Josh is on Ole Miss for eight. Kinger and I both on Ole Miss for seven. So through two games, we are both we are all three in agreement on the winner um and as we move on now to the next game we're going to transition into sec country where i know college football nerds has a strong presence a lot of followers down there so josh we want to start with you with this one we've got lsu at alabama a game that always captures the country tell us why we should be interested in this one (laughs) well I hate to say it, but I'm not sure I can actually tell you why you should be that interested in this one. (laughs) Given the state that LSU's in right now, it's hard to project them to win a lot of football games, just being honest. And coming off a bye week where, uh, you know, LSU was putting out there that they weren't able to practice or scrimmage during the bye because they did not have enough healthy players, playing against an Alabama team that is becoming quite healthy uh, and seems to be turning a corner I don't see this as a competitive matchup. Uh, and and I, one of the more recent data points I heard today was that Sage Ryan, their five-star safety that was playing in the slot because of all their injuries at corner, is going to be unavailable against Alabama. So at this point, people don't even know who the third corner on the field is going to be. And it's expected that only one player from their last game, excuse me, only one player in the secondary from their last game will play in the same position in this game. And those were the guys that were already playing out of position due to injury. So, you know, with a, there's a reason that game has a 28.5-point spread. I think LSU's offense to start the year was one of the more underrated units, frankly, nationally. They were good, and they were really good to start last year. It was the defense that was awful. But this has become a team that is disjointed on the offensive side of the ball. They don't, have not had the ability to run for a couple years. Uh, and defensively, they're facing, you know, most statistics have Alabama and Ohio State as clearly the top two offenses in the country and LSU sort of in shambles. I have this as my 10. I would be shocked if Alabama lost this game. Uh, Everything going on at LSU sort of hedges towards Alabama, and you combine it with the fact that from a personnel standpoint, LSU's in as bad or worse shape than anyone in the country. 
it just would be absolutely shocking to me, not only if Alabama loses, but it will be a huge surprise to me if this is a competitive game in any respect. I agree with a lot of what you said there, Josh. Um, I, I've got Alabama in my resume rankings as number four. I know the CFP has them at two. I'm not going to quibble about that. I think uh, it's about the same difference, and Alabama, they're a really good team. Tenth uh, best win of the entire season overall I have their win at Florida. Only a 48% chance that the average top 25 team would go into the swamp and win that game. And now I know Florida's, what, 4-4 four and four now, but still, predictably speaking, um, a really good team. So really impressed by that win at Florida. I'm impressed by everything about this Alabama team, though, as we touched on. This game, to me, is all about Alabama. I've got this as the number two ranked offense in the country, Josh, as you touched on there. Most metrics have them around there. I have this as the number seven ranked defense. So while LSU is, um, I have LSU number 35 overall in my predictive numbers. So um, I'm, I think I'm a little bit higher on LSU than maybe some out there, but the problem for LSU is Alabama's that much better. I've got them as the number two team in the country. I don't see any reason to think that this game is going to be close, Josh. As you said, I'm projecting the spread at 24, so I guess a little bit closer than Vegas. I wouldn't go wouldn't go bet on this game and bet on LSU to cover, but that's kind of where my numbers put it. It's a 95% win probability for Alabama, so that equates to me taking the tide for 10 confidence points this week as well. King, what do you think? Well, I'm going to go bet on it, and I'm going to take Alabama minus 28 and a half this week. Like you guys said, I mean, you just take a look at this LSU team, and they are pretty decimated. And if some of these statistical categories here, I mean, LSU defense has really taken a step back. They're ranked 11th in the SEC. They're ranked 95th in the nation in pass efficiency defense. That's a problem versus Bryce Young, who a guy who's looked really, really impressive this year, top three or four Heisman candidate. And these two wide receivers, Jamison Williams and John Mechie. I mean, Williams is, is come on as strong as anybody this year. I think he's really improved his draft stock. You know, Ohio State transfer uh, plays at just a different speed and level than anybody else. And when you take a look at really how much success, averaging over 300 yards a game in the air, I think that spells a lot of trouble for LSU on the defensive side. Now you flip it around, like Josh mentioned, LSU on the ground this year is just, they don't have anything going. They're only averaging 3.6 yards per carry, and Alabama's front seven is fifth nationally against the run. Um, you got a guy like Will Anderson, who's uh, Will Anderson Jr. He leads the nation in tackles for loss, ninth nationally in sacks with nine. I mean, you're going to really, Bama's got the ability to really make this one-sided game. And although Alabama's secondary, I don't think quite as good or has quite the depth that they've had these past couple years, uh, there's no way you're going to, you're, that I don't, I think LSU has a chance to keep this close on the road. So I have Alabama sitting in the 10 spot this week as well. Okay. So to recap, it's really easy. K Ford, King or Josh, all on Alabama, all for 10 points. Uh, so for anyone listening, maybe there's your hint. Alabama is a really solid pick this week. Keeping it in the SEC, uh, I'll take this one first. We've got a huge matchup in the West, Auburn at Texas A&M. I have this as the third best game of the entire weekend with an average K-4 team rating of 87. I have these as two really good teams. The CFP has them at number 13 and 14, respectively. Um, I, th I think that's a little high for me. I'd have Auburn at 14, which is right around where they are, but Texas A&M, one of my most overrated teams, I think. I'd have them at number 25 in a in a resume-based metric, but my metrics don't matter. The CFP do. So this is 13 versus 14. And I actually expect this game, shocker in the SEC, actually maybe nowadays it is, um, I, th I see a lot of defense in this game. So I've got both these units, uh, Texas A&M defense number nine overall in the country, Auburn's defense number 19. And that's not to say that either offense here is necessarily bad. I just think both defenses are a little bit better. Um, 
I do think the Auburn offense, again, a top 30 unit, um, they're, they're pretty above average, both rushing and passing. They don't do either particularly well, but they're not particularly bad at either um, at the same time. So I'm not sure if they're going to be looking more to run or pass. They're pretty balanced, I think, coming at, coming into this game. Um, but either way, I do think the Texas A&M defense uh, is going to be able to slow them down, especially against the pass, really not giving up any explosive plays that Texas A&M defense, uh, even against Alabama, a team that's very explosive in, in the win that they had, which I have as the second best win of the season in all of college football, only a 22% chance the average top 25 team wins a game at home against Alabama. Texas A&M has done that. So very impressed there. Um, I think the difference in this game to me probably comes uh, when Texas A&M offense has the ball. Like I said, I do like Auburn's defense more than Texas A&M's offense, but I do think Texas A&M can have some success uh, rushing in particular. Uh, Passing probably because Auburn's defense is, according to my numbers, 93rd in success rate against the pass. Um, They don't really give up a whole lot of explosive plays in the passing game, but they just give up consistent chunks here or there to keep keep the offense on track. So I actually have Auburn as the better team in this. I have Auburn as the number 12 team in the country, Texas A&M number 14. Uh, But I am, because the game is in College Station at Kyle Field, I am going to take the Aggies 56% win probability. So I'm taking Texas A&M for three points, three confidence points. King, what do you think? You know, you take a look at Alabama LSU and, you know, in the SEC matchups in previous years, that would hands down be the biggest game in the conference, but not this year. I think this Auburn-Texas A&M game takes the cake specifically for kind of what it has, uh, what's on the line for making it to the SEC championship going forward. So a guy that I kind of wasn't too high end. I said some negative things about previously on a couple episodes, but Bo Nix quietly in the, on the Auburn offense has had a really a couple good games. Last week versus Ole Miss, he was 22 for 30 for 276 yards. And the previous week versus Arkansas, he was 21 of 26 for 292 yards. Now you take a look at those defenses and they aren't quite as good on as the A&M on paper, but I really like Bo Nix and the momentum that he has going. You know, A&M defense, they'd only trail Georgia in the SEC with 24 sacks. They have a couple really good prospects out there with DeMarvin Leal and Tyree Johnson. Both guys, I think, are sitting there with six sacks a, a, a piece. Um, but I do really like uh, Auburn's ability, hopefully, to run the ball. Tank Bigsby, again, I think he's one of the better backs in the country. And then on the other side of the ball, I'm actually, you, you mentioned Kelly, I, I do agree that Auburn has, has given up some plays specifically in the passing game. But one thing that I really like that they have going for them is they're a senior laden team. I think their best four or five players on the defensive side of the ball, Roger McCreary, Smoke Monday, Badarius Knight, and Zacoby McClain, all those guys are seniors that have really come around on their own, that have been in that program for four years. And if you look at Calzada, Outside of the Alabama game, I've really been unimpressed for him. So I think the big thing for them is going to be stopping AM's run game. If they can do that and put the ball in Calzada's hands, I, I, I'm still going to lean Auburn here. On the road in, in Kyle Field, it's going to be tough, but I'm actually going to take Auburn. I'm going to bet him to cover the four-and-a-half-point spread, and I have them sitting in the two spot for confidence points. I think this is one of the more interesting matchups in the SEC uh, for all the reasons you guys talked about. Uh, not only – are these two teams that are sort of sitting there quietly in that second tier with the opportunity to move up? But if Texas a were to win this game, okay, and then Auburn goes on to beat Alabama, the way the two-way tiebreakers would work uh, would probably mean that Auburn would end up sending Texas A&M to uh, the SEC championship game. And that's because A&M would have beaten both Auburn and Alabama. And the first tiebreaker the SEC has in a three-way tie is the head-to-head record between the three teams. So this game actually has a lot of import long-term as the direction of the conference and who's going to play in that SEC championship game. 
But to me, in terms of projecting it, this game is all about where Auburn's headed and where Texas A&M is headed. So Auburn, as a football team, has been improving, but they've been improving steadily. I think they figured out what to do with Bo Nix. To your point, uh, I, I agree with you, King, like, that Bo Nix has impressed me a lot more than I was expecting to start the year. And I think a lot of that is because Harson, to his credit, has figured out what Bo Nix is good or not good at. And he has been you know, using him in an effective manner to ensure that they can let him move the pocket and create and do all the things that he excels at in a way that benefits them as a football team. But ultimately, everything Auburn has done this season has been more or less predicated on the run. And I think one of the more tricky things to look at statistically is when you have a team like Auburn that I think is so geared towards being a power run team, you can see the run statistics be the same in every game, but what you miss is what the other team is having to do to create those run stats. And for what I've seen from an eye test with Auburn has been Auburn succeeds when the other team has to compromise themselves to stop the run. When teams haven't had to do that, like Georgia didn't have to do that, they haven't been very successful. Penn State didn't have to do that. They weren't very successful. But a team like Arkansas, who's normally a three-man defensive front, they had to bend their defense. They had to roll guys down to stop Auburn's rush attack from slowly whittling them away, and they were able to score some points. Ole Miss, same deal. After about the first couple drives, Ole Miss was very aggressive and attacking the line of scrimmage, and it created some explosive plays and passing plays. Texas A&M is one of the most physical front sevens in the country, not just in the SEC. I think this is a particularly bad matchup for Auburn. I, I don't disagree with what uh, you guys were saying earlier. You know, Zach made the point, I'm like, and then Kelly, you made the point that Auburn is a good team. And you pointed the fact out that, uh, I think Kelly said this, right, that you thought Auburn is a better team than Texas A&M, your, your metrics do. I think that may be true, but in this matchup, Texas A&M has the advantages I have Texas A&M in this. I have them with a four power rating. I don't have this particularly confident as compared to the others. Um, and if you want to hear more about it, this is actually the one video we managed to do a preview on this week. Uh, and that's our College Football Nerds channel. We're also College Football Nerds on Spotify. We did about a half hour on this. The one statistic I'll throw out for you guys, because I think this is pretty interesting. Uh, Auburn, so far, has played the number one, number nine, number 10, and number 13 rush defenses in the SEC. And you can guess they lost to number one badly. That was Georgia. And they beat 9, 10, and 13. But going forward, Auburn has to play the number two, number three, and number six rush defenses. That's Alabama, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M. So if I'm right about this game with A&M and the way that's going to disfavor Auburn, the one to really keep an eye out is the next week against Mississippi State because they have the same set of advantages that A&M has in terms of pure matchup. And that is an absolute trap game for Auburn going forward. I that love a, it. Yeah, that was a great breakdown. I love that. Yeah, And I will certainly be going to check out the, the breakdown on the CFB Nerds YouTube channel. You all should, too. They break down Auburn at Texas A&M. And with that little preview, there's no way I'm missing that. So uh, as soon as we're done, I'm going to check that out. To recap this game, Josh is on Texas A&M for four. I am on Texas A&M for three. And Kinger, for the first time, we do have a disagreement, is on Auburn for two. So not highly confident, any of us across the board, but we do have our first disagreement of the week. Okay, enough about the SEC. Let's switch it over to the ACC for a game that at the beginning of the year, I don't know we would have thought we'd be talking about, but we've got undefeated Wake Forest going into Chapel Hill to take on North Carolina. King, you want to take this one first? This is just going to be an offensive showdown. Over under 76 and a half points. Just 
tells you exactly all you need to know about this football game. There's not going to be a lot of defense. You have two really good quarterbacks and Sam Howell and Sam Hartman. Uh, Howell hasn't had quite the season that I think everybody anticipated. Just in general, North Carolina hasn't had the season that everybody anticipated sitting there at four and four. But Hartman and, and Wake Forest are a team that just continues to be improving every single week. Hartman's been incredibly efficient this year. Just 22 touchdowns, three interceptions. His wide receiver core duo of Roberson and Perry is still, in my opinion, one of the best in the country. I mean, both these guys are, are good, legitimate deep threats. They both are good, good crisp route runners. I mean, that that Wake Forest offense is hard to stop. Um, and then if you look, I mean, just talk, expand on that fur, further, they're going against a North Carolina defense that really hasn't shown up and performed um, really in any major games thus far this season. I mean, just coming off their game last week, they let up almost 525 yards to a Notre Dame team that has really, for the most part, been very underwhelming on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, on the, I expect the same thing really to happen when North Carolina does have the ball against this Wake Forest defense, but I do trust Wake Forest defense a little bit more than North Carolina's. And specifically, I like the players in Wake Forest secondary. Um, they've, they've proven to be kind of ball hawks this year. They've got a lot of passes defended up in that secondary there. So if you look at that, I just like them in regards to their playmaker's ability in the back end. And, and with how Hartman's been seems to progress this season versus Hal, who's been very steady, although Hal probably had his best game of the year last week. Um, I I think I got to roll Wake Forest here. So I have Wake Forest sitting there in the uh, three spot. Um, one little stat that I wanted to throw out this series. I mean, even though it is uh, 76 and a half, the over under, I'm leaning towards taking the over this year. And this series in particular uh, is four of five in the last five in regards to their over under when they've played each other. So I haven't locked that in just yet, but I'm leaning that. But just for the guards of the confidence points, I'm Wake Forest at three. In my opinion, this is the hardest one to pick of the week. And and I'll go ahead and set, put out there, I've got this as my one. And the problem for me is when you have a game that is this high scoring, the variability factor comes into play tremendously. Uh, one of the things we talk about a lot on our channel is you know different ways that you can approach particular matchups analytically. And to me, one of the primary things that you have to consider is sort of break points and stall points. Every offense has a certain point where they start to operate. And then there's always a ceiling where it doesn't matter how many yards you get. Uh, at some point, turnovers and negative plays are the thing stopping your drive, not efficiency. This game starts to really push towards that ceiling metric. I mean, looking at, uh, you know, uh, Parker Fleming, I know you guys have had him on for Stats of War, puts out some really good statistical profiles. Um, defensively, these teams are a mess, right? I mean, EPA against the pass, Wake Forest is 109th. Uh, North Carolina is 89th. Uh, these are not good teams against other teams that throw the football. And I think this is going to be, a, like you said, a very high-scoring game, which means disruptive plays start to matter. Now, I have North Carolina, and, and to me, North Carolina's scheme, and this sort of as an offshoot of what Longo tried to install, is only effective against teams where there's a significant talent advantage. I, I, I feel like... They have to have the ability to hit those deep shots. They take a lot of them at a pretty decent clip. And they've always had real issues where if things aren't going their way, their offense isn't very good. They had a tremendous amount of turnover to the NFL draft, and I think they're feeling that tremendously. Longo's offense was like that in the SEC. It was total boomer busted Ole Miss, and they had a lot of really miserable games. But given where Wake Forest is at defensively, given just how bad in the hundreds in pass defense, I personally think Longo's offense is actually going to function for one of the few times this year. And I think 
think that probably gives North Carolina a bit of an edge. But given the scoring amount in play, I think variability is extremely high here. I, I don't think there's any way to accurately or consistently predict this winner. Um, and I think the things that go wrong are going to matter a lot more than the things that go right. Well, I agree with almost everything with what you both have said. I've got this as the fifth best game of the weekend with a game score of 80. If you like offense, you're going to like this one. I have this as the best Wake Forest team since, get this, the Demon Deacons finished in the top 25 back in 1946. I mean, World War II had just ended. That's the last time that I have Wake Forest in my historical team ratings as this good. So I I think this is a historically good, by Wake Forest standards, Demon Deacons team rolling into Chapel Hill this weekend. Um, I know the CFP has them at 9. I'd actually have them at 6 in a merit-based ranking, but they're at 9 this week in the poll that matters. And you guys hit on it. This is all about offense. I've got both of these offenses in the top 10 in the country. Wake Forest number 6, North Carolina number 9. And... While they, they, they can both run, they can both pass, I think they're, uh, they're most effective actually at opposite things. So Wake Forest, Sam Hartman in that passing game, top 10 in success rate, top 20 in explosiveness. Um, I really think they're going to be throwing the ball quite a bit. And then North Carolina, while you guys have hit on it, Wake Forest defense is very poor, I would say, across the board, rushing and passing. Success rate, they're sub-100 in both. Um, So I think North Carolina is going to have their way uh, no matter what they want to do. But I think rushing is where they're going to have more success. I've got them in the top 10 in success rate rushing. Got them just outside the top 10 in explosiveness. So they're really good at running the ball. They're very explosive when they run the ball. And Wake Forest, uh, not very good at stopping the run or explosive plays. So a lot of offense, a lot of points. King, that's that's tough to, or bold to take an over that's that high, but you're the pro. You know what you're doing. I, I, I'll trust it. Let's not pretend I'm a pro, Kelly, but I appreciate <laughs> it, the, but let's not pretend I'm a pro. You're the one that knows best, so I would trust it for anyone listening. I actually, so again, this is two games in a row. I've got Wake Forest as the better team here. I've got them number 23 in my predictive numbers. I've got North Carolina number 30, but because the game's at North Carolina, I'm actually taking the Tar Heels. There's a 51% win probability here by my numbers. That's less than a point. I mean, it's a half a point uh, that I'd favor the Tar Heels, and I'm taking them, just like you, Josh, for one confidence point. So to recap, King, two games in a row going against Josh and I. He's on Wake Forest for three. Josh and I both on the Tar Heels for one. So that was a quick stop in the ACC, guys. We're actually going to kick it out west now to a game that usually uh, you have to circle, you have to highlight. It's a game that highlights two teams in the Pac-12 North. Um, One in very good standing, one not having the season they thought they'd have. I'll take this game first. It's Oregon going on the road to Washington. So I expect this, even though these teams probably aren't where they'd want to be. Well, Washington's not where they'd want to be. Oregon, number four in the CFP ranking this week. I'd have them at number 12. So I do think that their win at Ohio State probably being inflated by the committee a little bit. And don't get me wrong, my numbers have that as the absolute best win in college football this year. Only an 18% chance that the average top 25 team goes into Columbus and beats the Buckeyes. So definitely giving Oregon the credit they deserve for that win. But just everything else, the aggregate um, schedule that they played and the the manner in which they've won or lost those games that they played, I'd have them at number 12. They're number four this week. And then on the other side, a Washington team that's four and four on the year, although they have won two in a row. Um, Rivalry games are always tough, right? Um, so, so I do think that Washington will make a good game of this. I'm not sure what the line is, King. I'll lean on you to provide that when you go. Um, 
but I do think this is going to be a one-score game. Uh, I do have Oregon as the better team here, both on offense and defense versus their counterparts at Washington. I think the higher quality matchup here is when Oregon's on offense and Washington's on defense. I've got Oregon as the number 14 offense in the country, Washington number 26 defense. I think Oregon's going to be trying to rush the ball. I've got them in the top five nationally in success rate rushing. Uh, Washington defense, much better against the pass. Top 10 in success rate against the pass. They're 100th against the rush. So I do think it's going to be um, a lot of Oregon rush, ground attack, and I think they will have success with that. And then on the other side, like I said, I do favor Oregon. Um, I, I think there's probably a bigger gap here. I got the Oregon defense in the top 40, Washington offense hanging around number 80. Um, so while I do think they might have some success, uh, probably passing just because the, the, the Oregon pass defense has struggled a little bit um, in terms of success right now. They're pretty good at an explosiveness measure, so they're not giving up big chunk plays, but they are giving up um, enough yards to let the offense remain um, on schedule. With all of that being said, I've got Oregon as the 21st best team in the country, so probably not as my, my predictive numbers aren't as impressed by Oregon as the resume rankings that are out there. Um, I haven't looked at all the power ratings, but um, I think I'm probably around where most are. Oregon, in terms of how they've played their games, how they've won their games, isn't overly impressive this year. So just number 21 in the predictive metrics, but Washington's all the way down at 56 this week for me. Um, so even though it's on the road, I've got Oregon with a 64% win probability, and that's good for six confidence points. Josh, I'll kick it to you. What do you make of this Pac-12 game? I think the thing that really sticks out to me is something you noted, and that's that there's a serious mismatch in Washington's ability to run the ball and to stop the run. It's never a good thing when you're giving up about a yard per carry more, in their case, over a yard per carry more rushing than you actually generate. About 3.59 yards per carry uh, gained, about 4.65 yards per carry allowed. Now, they haven't played many teams that can run the ball well, and I think that's that's a bit of a problem when you start looking at a lot of uh, statistical, like statistical data. And I know they're in the hundreds in like EPA, but opponent adjusted data is kind of everything in, in college football, right? And EPA, I I feel is a very good statistic if you know how to use it because it is adjusted based off down and distance and position. But one thing EPA doesn't do is it doesn't adjust for the quality of your opponent, and so you have to take that into account to the same degree. I think. Though when you consider the fact that a lot of teams they play aren't very good rushing teams, to be that low in EPA uh, rush against the teams they played is even that much more of a red flag. So I do have Oregon. I have Oregon is, as long as they got Brown at quarterback, they are a run first team. That's kind of what they're good at. They're a little limited this year, but it's a bad matchup for Washington in my opinion. I don't know how much people watched him early in the year, but that was some of the worst line play on both sides of the ball that I have ever seen. Uh, and I think that's still the case. So I, I have Oregon. I actually have them as my seven. Uh, I, I feel like this is a particularly bad matchup, and I feel like, you know, it's kind of in line with the spreads, honestly, but Oregon has a pretty solid chance to win this game. Yeah, you both took a lot of the words out of my mouth, to be honest. Obviously, you know, you mentioned Washington. Washington actually leads the nation right now, only allowing 146 yards per game in the air. But you guys already mentioned their run defense has been very subpar. And for an Oregon offense that really does, has been heavily relying on that, I really like them to bounce back and really have 
uh, exploit that. You know, you look at Travis Dye, who's taken over here as the lead back for Oregon. He's really had been shut down the last two games. Just 35 yards versus UCLA a couple weeks ago, 47 versus Colorado. Byron Cardwell, their four-star recruit out of uh, California last year, stepped up and had over 100 last week versus Colorado. But I think this is a prime matchup for Dye to really bounce back versus a very subpar Washington defense. Um, and you mentioned Anthony Brown has really been a lot better. He's thrown for 244, 296, and 307 the last three weeks versus Cal, UCLA, and Colorado. He did have a couple of interceptions versus UCLA, but he's really improved. And if and if Oregon can get some more production from him in that pass game, I still really think they are a pretty dangerous team on the offensive side of the ball. And then on defense, you know, Josh mentioned it while Washington, Washington's O-line is just very poor. They said 3.59 yards per carry. They have not matched up. And for uh, Oregon defensive front, well, I mean, mainly Kayvon Thibodeau, but uh, they have some players out there in, in every level with Noah Sewell and then Verone McKinley in the secondary. Uh, they've got some studs, and I just really think that this is a bad matchup for Washington. Oregon's 1-5 in, in their last six games against the spread, and, you know, it's a rivalry game. You guys might have seen today, you know, Jimmy Lake took a shot about how Oregon's not an academic school, and we compete against, you know, better academic schools. And then the, or the Oregon president today came back and said, you know, well, they had a very respective football coach in, in Chris Peterson, but, you know, we look forward to seeing him on the field. Rivalry games are always important, but uh, I think Oregon's too much this week, and I'm actually going to take them with the spread six and a half, and I have Oregon with six confidence points. Yeah, King, I'm not sure what Jimmy Lake was trying to accomplish with his comments, but um, I don't think that it played out probably how he, maybe he envisioned, or I really just don't know what he was saying. But... I think Mario Cristobal is planning to lay the hammer this week is what I yeah. think is planning to happen. Yeah, just not what you want to say right before you're about to play your rival. But to recap, we're all in agreement on this one. We've all got Oregon. Josh on the Ducks for seven. King and I on the Ducks for six. So, King, speaking of rivalry games, we're going to transition to the Big 12 now, but we got a big rivalry game here. Let's start with you, Baylor, going on the road to play TCU. The post-Gary Patterson era begins for TCU. TCU coming in, losing three straight. Baylor's won three straight. Um, these are two teams that really like to run the football. Baylor's eighth in the country, 237 yards per game. TCU 22nd with 208 yards per game. Uh, a, a stat about Abram Smith that I saw the other day, the Baylor running back that I really liked. Uh, he had another pretty solid week last week, um, 20 for 113 yards and a touchdown. But he has four touchdown runs of over 30 yards this year. And versus TCU defense that's really allowed some explosive plays, I look for Baylor to really hopefully exploit that. Uh, Bohannon for uh, Gary Bohannon didn't have his best day last week. Uh, uh, versus Texas, but this is a TCU defense that really has allowed a lot of big plays this year, and 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 I expect Baylor to really have some success here. Now, on the other side of the ball, I've been pretty high, or at least given Baylor the respect that they've deserved, um, and you know, t or, or not respect that they deserve, I'm sorry, that's a bad way. Respect maybe more so than a lot of teams have given them thus far this season, but you know TCU is really going to try and run the ball here. They, ho they boast a very good running back duo in Zach Evans and Kendra Biller. Both these guys are currently averaging seven yards per Gary, and Duggan, I think, in the TCU passing game has quietly uh, been a little bit more solid than what I think a lot of people are giving them respect for. They've really struggled in the turnover this year. TCU is, TCU is minus four in the turnover margin. Uh, they have eight fumbles. Baylor has 13 takeaways. So I think that's going to be critical for TCU this week to take take care of the football. Um, you know, my mind tells me off the tart start to take Baylor real quick. And that six and a half point spread is tempting. But I actually am going to stay away from this. Just seeing how, not quite sure how TCU is going to perform with the new coach. I'm still going to take Baylor to win. And I do have Baylor sitting at five confidence points. But in regards to that spread this week, I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to stay away from it.
Um, a lot of similar thoughts he has. I have Baylor with five confidence points. To me, it comes down to the simple fact that TCU wants to win a football game by throwing as little as possible and hoping their defense doesn't get shredded. That's kind of where they're at this year, and it's why Gary Patterson is out the door. Uh, Baylor is not the team you want to play if that's your style of football, right? You know, Baylor is in a position where they'd like to be able to run the ball primarily. Uh, and while I think you can stymie Baylor, and that's been shown at times, especially just in recent years generally, I don't know that TCU has the ability to do that. So TCU is in a position where they're playing what is a pretty good pass defense, probably uh, needs to, you know, maybe can run the ball some. I don't think they're going to score that much. I don't have a ton of confidence in this game. I mean, five, I almost feel like five's too much, but there's enough games this week that I think are total toss-ups. I almost have to feel like I have to put them there. Like Texas A&M, Auburn, I've got it four, and I don't think this game is, uh, you know, any more likely or less likely than that one. I think A&M's probably, and Auburn is probably a little more variable. But at the end of the day, I just think TCU's defense, everything they've got going on as a program, puts them in a bad position. I think Baylor's able to run the ball, uh, and just sort of control the game enough to get a win. But I, I agree with him. I, I wouldn't touch the spread. Yeah, Josh, you mentioned uh, you think it's – you're not confident in the five points you're giving. I'll tell you, if this would have been last week, this game probably would have been like the 10. My goodness, the pick last week was like darn near impossible with all the toss-ups. So, yeah, I, I'm with you guys on this one, and I'd be remiss if I didn't start with the Gary Patterson news. We talked about that in our live show that we posted on uh, Monday night earlier this week. So go check that out. Uh, we, we talked about it quite a bit and gave our thoughts. I have this as the 10th best game of the slate. Um, interested in it. Really, it's a, it's a great rivalry game, as we said. 76 game score combined average K forward rating. This is the best Baylor team in my historical data set since they finished number six in 2015. So uh, really impressed by what Dave Aranda's got going on there in Waco. Uh, the CFP's got Baylor at 12 this week. I'd have him at 10, so right around where I'd have him. No major complaints there. I actually like Baylor across the board here. Um, I've got Baylor as a top 25 offense, a top 20 defense. Um, TCU's defense really struggling this year. Uh, I think caught some people by surprise, myself included. I think Baylor's going to have their way rushing, uh, especially passing TCU, or excuse me, especially rushing. TCU's rush defense has not been able to stop anyone. 120th in success rate. Passing, they're not much better, 107th. So uh, really see Baylor's offense rolling. And then on the other side, I do think it will be more competitive as I have TCU's offense uh, ranked 35th. Uh, but still, too much Baylor um, offense, defense across the board. I've got Baylor as the 17th best team in the country. TCU number 51 uh, this week. So 64% win probability. TCU's getting that home field advantage bump. That's the only reason it's that close. Uh, that leads to five confidence points for me on the Bears. So the recap is very easy. Josh, Kinger, K. Ford, all on Baylor for five points right in the middle. Um, so we'll keep it in the Big 12. I'll take this one first. We've got Oklahoma State going on the road to West Virginia, a West Virginia team that sprung uh, quite a big upset last week. A lot of some some uh, momentum building for Iowa State in their charge towards the Big 12 championship game. Well, uh, West Virginia put an end, at least to now, for that with a seven-point win at home against the Cyclones last week. I've got this as the sixth best game of the slate, score game score of 80. Uh, CFP has Oklahoma State at 11. I'd actually have them at seven, so um, slightly more underrated than, than Baylor, uh, at least according to my numbers. 
Oklahoma State owns the sixth best win in college football this year at Texas. Yes, I, I know Texas is 4-4 four and four and they keep finding ways to lose games in the second half, but predictably speaking, still a good team. So only a 46% chance that the average top 25 team would roll into Austin and get the win, which the Cowboys did. So very impressed with what I've seen so far on the resume of Oklahoma State. Um, for me, this game, all about defense. Uh, I think th the best unit of the four here is Oklahoma State's defense. I've got them as the number five defensive unit in the country. Um, I expect them to be able to slow down the West Virginia offense. Now, if West Virginia is going to have success, I think it might be passing the ball. Um, probably the... West Virginia probably better passing than rushing, and Oklahoma State probably better against the rush than the pass. So I do expect the Mountaineers to try to throw the ball. Oklahoma State does not give up very many explosive plays through the air. They're top five in the country in explosiveness um, of passing defense. So um, while West Virginia might have to slowly make their way down the field, I think they might have some success with that. And then on the other side, I do like West Virginia's defense uh, more than Oklahoma State's offense. However, I like Oklahoma State's offense more relatively than West Virginia's offense. So um, I think Oklahoma State's going to have some success passing. Uh, West Virginia, not great against the rush or the pass, honestly, but uh, Oklahoma State even worse rushing the ball, I think, than, than West Virginia is on defense against the rush. So I do expect the Cowboys to be passing the ball. I do expect they'll have some level of success. Um, I'm not sure what the over-under is in this game, but I uh, would lean towards the under in that, again, not even knowing what it is. I've got Oklahoma State as the 19th best team in the country, West Virginia number 32. So when you factor in the home field advantage, it's going to make it a little bit closer than you might think. But I've got Oklahoma State with a 55% win probability, and that leads to two confidence points on the Cowboys. King, you were about to hop in there. I think it was on the over-under, so I'll kick it Yeah, to I was just going to say, I mean, Oklahoma State's a three-point favorite. The over-under this game is 49. And, you know, you highlighted a lot of the points that I wanted to touch on, right? I mean, you have the second-ranked passing offense in the Big 12 versus the second-ranked passing defense in the Big 12 with West Virginia's offense and Oklahoma State. Jared Doge has quietly had a pretty good season um, you know, he's had some struggle, trouble that West Virginia offensive line has been a little bit uh, shaky this year. They've allowed a league high 15 sacks. When it comes to running the, the ball, they're dead last in the conference in regards to offensive run production or yards per carry. Um, so they've been extremely one-sided. And you look at uh, Oklahoma State's defense, I do think the strength of that is in the secondary. So I, I really am looking forward to seeing that matchup. Um, I think that there is probably going to be some success, and I think West Virginia's momentum here these last couple weeks, um, hopefully they can they can carry it, right? That was a big win last week versus Iowa State. We'll see if they can get up for this for this game. Now, on the other side, West Virginia is very average on the defensive side of the ball. Like you said, not really um, – elite at anything they do in my opinion lean a little bit better towards on that rush defense like you had mentioned Kelly um, towards the back of the big 12 in regards to pass defense and so what scares me a little bit is putting the 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 ball in Spencer Sanders hands right he's been a guy that hasn't been overly consistent and, and asking him to win a tough road game um, you know he's gonna have to play well and uh, you know he's been pretty good the last three weeks I mean I don't really consider Kansas too much you know, they're they're kind of a doormat, except the fact that they gave Oklahoma a, a pretty good game a few weeks ago. So you don't want to put too much into that. But I think the big game thing for them is they are going to have to establish that run game with Jalen Warren. If they can do that and not make Spencer Sanders throw 35, 40 times, I like Oklahoma State to win this game. I think it's close. Again, a game I'm not touching with the spread, but I am going to take Oklahoma State and I have them with four confidence points. I don't have a ton to add on top of what you guys have said. 
I mean, really, I think that it comes down to the fact that Oklahoma State has just been a slightly better team than than uh, than has uh, West Virginia to this point in the year. Uh, the one thing I'll note that's kind of interesting is you talk about you know, West Virginia being the second-ranked passing offense, but it's interesting when you start to break them down how those statistics have come about, right? They're the number two passing offense because they have thrown the second most attempts. Uh, if you look at yards per attempt on the season, uh, West Virginia falls all the way from second down to eighth. I mean, they're only 7.9 yards per attempt. And if you look at it just in terms of FBS play, uh, they are ninth in the conference at 7.5 yards per attempt. Uh, so really, if you look at it per play, in a lot of ways, they're only better than Kansas. Uh, they've only thrown five touchdowns to four interceptions in their five conference games, 7.7 yards per attempt. Uh, in terms of QB rating, in terms of yards per attempt, uh, in terms of touchdown and interception ratio, again, the only team they're ahead of is Kansas. And I think the truth of the matter is that West Virginia has been very up and down. Now, I have Oklahoma State, but only at two points. And the reason is I think both these teams are very unsteady. I think anything can happen. If you look at their statistics, they're very, you know, like these statistics are averages of a very variable set. Uh, but I do think at the end of the day, Oklahoma State's a little bit of a better team. And I do think that last uh, upset last week was probably a little bit of an aberration, which Iowa State has been prone to. I love that you can bring that different level of statistics, right? Because that's just not something that I, that I can see or break down from a guy just watching college football games and doing research every week on historical trends and just, you know, your average stats. So it's cool to listen to you guys or, you know, specifically you in this case, Josh, bring that additional knowledge because, you know, it, it does shed a completely different light on that West Virginia passing game. And it's very interesting to hear you talk about that, that it's really maybe not quite as impressive as it looks on paper. Love it. It's great stuff right here. So to recap, we're all on Oklahoma State. Kinger's on the Cowboys for four. Josh and I on the Cowboys for two. So we're going to move on now out of the Big 12 into our final conference that we're going to look at with two games left. We're going to go into the Big 10. Um, Josh, we're actually going to let you start this one. We've got Ohio State going on the road to Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, is it going to shock you guys if I were to pick Ohio State to beat Nebraska in this game? I mean, it's... It's a 15-and-a-half-point spread, right? And the odds of a team losing with a 15-and-a-half-point spread are not particularly good. I think it's probably – it's more than some would think. It's probably about 20%, um, but not great. Uh, and if you are picking – this is one of my pet peeves, right? If you're picking and you're picking straight up, you shouldn't be picking many underdogs. The point spreads are what they are for a reason. Uh, and if you're sitting in your office pool and it's about the only time you're ever going to pick straight up, right – Pick the favorite most of the time. And if it's over a touchdown, pick the favorite unless you have a really good reason to do so. Uh, and that's where Ohio State is in this one. Look, it, I am not as high on Nebraska as a lot of people are, frankly. I, I know Nebraska is thought of as having this great defense. I question a little bit who Nebraska's played, when they've played them. I mean, if you look at it throughout the season, uh, Oklahoma in week four was not playing very good football. And offensively, they were having struggles against a lot of teams. I don't know that Michigan State is a great offense. I don't know that Michigan's a great offense, but they gave up actually, you know, not, you know, inconsiderable amounts of uh, yards and points. It was uh, 32 points given up to Michigan, 5.67 yards per play. Uh, and when you put all that together, I, I think Nebraska's solid, right? But are they much more than that? I don't know. And I think Ohio State is turning around. I, I think there were some chinks in Ohio State's armor. We, I've talked about this a little bit. I have concerns with Ohio State's ability to be consistent and efficient 
if the big explosive plays aren't there. Uh, in their offense, I think for the past few years, it's had an issue where it's very dependent on the shot play. Um, we could go into a much larger discussion of this, but Ohio State's offensive style is actually pretty set in each receiver position and how they play football to where they don't mix and match receivers. They're not real comfortable taking an outside receiver, putting them inside. And so they have sort of these designed RPO shot plays in their offense within a very explosive running back, and they're really dependent on hitting those. And if they don't hit them, uh, the offense from Meyer into day has leaned so far into those concepts that they repeatedly have shown the ability to sputter and slow down because they don't really scheme guys open in a traditional pro style sense. They scheme them open more in a spread RPO sense. And that's the best way I can put it without spending a half hour on it. Um, but I, I think as good as Nebraska is, those shot plays depend on athletic advantages. Nebraska play, has played salty defense. Nebraska does not have top-end athletes, and I think that's the problem. A lot like Arkansas and the SEC, sometimes good defenses or good defenses in a lot of ways start to look really different when they play a team that has serious offensive firepower. And the skill position talent Ohio State brings to the table I think is a totally different animal than what Nebraska's faced, and I think it shows up. I mean, I have Ohio State... I would take them minus the points, uh, and I have this as my number nine confidence level for the week. Interesting, and yeah, Josh, I, I wanted you to go first because I, I was I wanted to hear what your thoughts were on Nebraska because I know those in the analytics community are kind of divided on them, and not that it's going to change my analysis or what I share here, but I was just curious as to what you made of them. So that's interesting. I have this as the best game of the weekend in terms of average combined K forward rating, uh, game score of eighty nine, and I have this. This is going to sound weird to some listeners. Nebraska's 3-6 and six this year, right? I have this as the best Nebraska team, predictably speaking, since the Cornhuskers finished number 28 back in 2014, which was Bo Pelini's final year at the helm. So um, make of that what you will. Maybe Nebraska hasn't been great in the in the year since then, but it's still just, it sounds weird to say that a 3-6 and six team of, a, of, a, of the brand name of Nebraska, this is the best, predictably speaking, team in my rating set since 2014. So that goes to show you kind of what I think of Nebraska. I, I do think um, that their defense is pretty darn good. Um, and before I get into that, Ohio State this this week in the CFP rankings, number five. Um, and again, this is coming from an admitted Ohio State fan. I'd have them at number 11. I, I, the committee must just be looking at it and saying Ohio State's one of these best teams in the country, which I agree with. I've got them number three in my predictive numbers, but in my opinion, that's not what the committee should be doing. Uh, but anyway, they're number five in the CFP, 11 in my most deserving. Um, I mentioned Nebraska's defense. I've got them as the number 23 unit in the country. And I hear what you're saying, Josh, about maybe they haven't played anybody with a lot of offensive firepower yet. Well, that's going to change this weekend for sure. But my numbers are opponent adjusted, and I do have Nebraska number 23 on defense. I've actually got the Cornhuskers offense top 40 as well. So this is a really good, predictably speaking, Nebraska team, again, relative to the rest of the Big Ten, relative to the to, to FBS. I've got them as the number 27 team in the country. This is a 3-6 and six team. I've got them number 27 in the predictive numbers. But again, um, this, there's a problem for Nebraska, and it's they're playing Ohio State, who I have as number three, as I mentioned. I have this as the best offense in the country. I have this as a top 25 defense, steadily improving from the beginning of the year after the coordinator change. Um, and it, well, after who's calling the plays, uh, the coordinator didn't change, but who's calling the plays. Um, I, I do think that Ohio State's offense is just going to roll, rushing, passing. It doesn't really matter. Uh, this is the number two offense in the country, uh, uh, passing the ball in terms of success rate. They're top 25 in rushing success rate. 
I do think if Nebraska is going to have one area that they might have success, it's going to be when they're on offense. I think they might be able to take advantage in the passing game just a little bit. Um, Ohio State, pretty good rush defense. Their pass defense in terms of success rate, um, sub 90. Uh, now, they're pretty good explosively uh, explosiveness rating. Um, they're top, top 15 in terms of passing defense explosiveness so they don't give up a whole lot of big chunk plays but they do give up consistent gains that let the offense stay on track and nebraska's offense is top 35 uh, in the passing game so i do expect nebraska's offense to have a little bit of success but at the end of the day um, i'm probably spending too much time on a game that's pretty straightforward ohio state 84 percent win probability even on the road so give me the buckeyes give me eight confidence points king what do you think ohio state at nebraska not going to spend a whole lot of time on this either. Um, you know, Ohio State's offense is just too good. And I think I've said the same thing about them just week in and week out. Their core skill players are as good as anybody in the country. And Nebraska's defense, with the exception of having two pretty high-quality linebackers in regards to their production this year, uh, I think they're second and third, respectively, in the conference and tackling, uh, they just don't have what it takes to handle the firepower of Ohio State. Now, you know, you look at Adrian Martinez, and his numbers are – I mean, his turnover number is a little bit skewed because he had four picks versus Purdue last week. But, you know, he's actually done a pretty decent job of taking care of the ball this year. And I agree that Ohio State is going to stop um, – you know they're they're going to contain Nebraska in the run game, and quite frankly, I don't think they're going to be able to do too much in the pass game either, because I don't think that they have the skill players on the outside. Although Ohio State could be a little bit vulnerable, if you look at the the receiver numbers from from Nebraska this year, they just don't have a lot of production outside. Now the one thing that I will say about Nebraska, it does seem like they have laid a couple eggs, obviously, but they battled in all of their big games this season. You know they lost at OU by seven. They lost at MSU by three, at home to Michigan by three, lost within a score at Minnesota. So in in their important games, it seems like Scott Frost has at least gotten them hyped up and, and ready to play. Um, you know, they it, it's been competitive. Now, that being said, I'm going to continue to ride the animal that is Ohio State right now, um, and I'm going to take them with nine confidence points. Okay, so to recap, we are all on the Buckeyes. Josh and Kinger on Ohio State for nine. I am on Ohio State for eight. And that brings us to our final game that we're talking about today, also in the Big Ten. And this is a big one, I know, for Kinger. So we're going to let you start, King. We got Michigan State rolling into West Lafayette to take on the Boilers. This is the 3.30 ABC game. So should be a good one. We're expecting that. Who do you think in this one, King, and why? Is this a trap game or is this another Jeff Brom letdown game? This is just, I don't know which side to go on because I think on paper you look at Purdue and I think they actually match up pretty well with Ohio State, right? Let's just start by saying, I mean, Mel Tucker came out. Purdue has 16 wins versus top five opponents while unranked, which is more than any other team in NCAA history. And I think the Purdue defense continues to garner more and more respect. They're 11th in the NCAA, only allowing 17 points per game. They have a top 10 passing defense, only allowing 174 yards per game the key for the boilers in this game which no team has really been able to do and i don't necessarily expect purdue to put the clamps on him but they're going to have to try and control kenneth walker kenneth walker's coming off a massive game last week five touchdown game kelly you and i highlighted it in the uh, live show earlier this week for him to do that in the rivalry game like that he absolutely put himself back in Heisman contention or in Heisman contention with the numbers that he's putting up this season um, you know after holding Iowa to only 76 yards on the ground three weeks ago Purdue has followed that up by allowing 290 at home to Wisconsin and 130 last week on the ground at Nebraska if they can keep Kenneth Walker to 130 yards on the ground I think that that's going to be a huge win for them 
Now, they need big games from their studs. They need George Karlaftis. They need Jalen Alexander, Marvin Grant, Jalen Graham. He's coming off the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week last week. Those four guys really have to step up and in, in have, in, in have a big game. Now, one thing that they might have going for them is, is Jalen Naylor, who is MSU's best wide receiver. He got hurt last week with a hand injury. He's questionable. So Michigan State very well could be with their, out their best weapon on the outside there. So that's going to be even more critical for them to step up and get Walker. And then on the other side of the ball, I mean, MSU's pass defense is still very, very poor. They were dead last in the Big Ten with the yards per game. They let up almost over 400 last week to a Michigan team that is really not known for passing the ball. Purdue's got a very efficient pass offense. They're averaging over 300 yards per game. They have David Bell, who is one of the best wide receivers in the country, continuing to rise up draft stocks. I, I... I got to go with my boys this week. I do. And you know, it might be dumb. It might be. But if, if, if I'm looking at the matchup there, I think that Purdue, if Brom can call the game that I know he's capable of, I absolutely think that they can score on Michigan State this week. And so for that reason and that reason alone, I'm going to ride the defense that's been a lot better this year. And I'm actually taking Purdue with one confidence point this week. We're taking the Boilers at home. I knew it as I was filling out the cards here of everyone's picks and confidence points. I noticed you had one left. I already filled in Purdue. I knew knew you were digging the boilers for one. Had to. I saw that coming. Hey, Josh, what do you think about this one? I'll let you go next. So I may have to shock you a little bit here, Kelly. Actually, agree with King. Uh, I let's go. Okay. A lot of advanced metrics actually have Purdue winning this game. If you look again, Parker's metrics and one I just threw up because I was curious. I think his metrics actually have Purdue favored by about seven points, uh, and that's at Stats of War. Give him a shout-out for putting those forward. There is good reason to think Purdue not only can, but maybe even should win this game. Michigan State is a vulnerable team uh, passing. Purdue is completely one-dimensional. Now, their, their passing offense, it's kind of funny because statistically they're not very good, but they're not very good because the run game is so bad. But given how vulnerable Michigan State's looked I think it's possible for Purdue to basically live and die by the pass. Now, I don't have a lot of confidence in this. I have it as a three. Um, It's still not the bottom of my list, but I I think the matchups do favor Purdue. I think the fact that, and I always say this a lot, if you see a team like Michigan State that's top four in the country and they're playing a team like Purdue that is not super well regarded, and you see just three points being laid on the favorite, that should make you pretty concerned about ever betting on Michigan State in this game. I think the only play would be Purdue if you have confidence on it. And I think Vegas is begging people to put money on Michigan State. I like Purdue. I think Purdue is going to be able to throw it a lot in this game to be able to win. Um, Do I have a high confidence? No. I mean, I think Michigan State, to the point we made earlier, and I can't remember which game this was, uh, I think it was A&M Auburn, right? I think Michigan State is a better team than Purdue. And if you were to do a straight quality rating, you know, where they at, 1 through 130, you're going to have Michigan State ahead of Purdue. But the matchups particular to this game favor Purdue. Michigan State just enters the top of the rankings. It is at Purdue. Everything lines up for this upset, in my opinion. Kinger pumps his fist in approval. And I will say, Josh, it doesn't surprise me. And you mentioned uh, Stats of War, Parker, on Twitter. I, I knew what he put out today because he actually DM'd me in all caps, Kelly, 
talk me off the ledge with a picture, a screenshot of this Purdue-Michigan State game. And as I'm looking at it, he, you're right, he does have Purdue by just about seven points. Um, but what, what caught my eye, and I said, Parker, I could see it. I could see Purdue pulling this game out. Um, I'll get to my pick here in a second. But what surprised me the most was his projected score of Purdue 37, Michigan State 30. So I, I, you add those up, and you're getting 67 points. And I look at the total, and it's 54. And I said, I'd be shocked if we went – one, over the total of 54, and two, if it went that high, Parker. Um, so that was what was surprising to me, not the fact that he picked Purdue. And so I'm not shocked, Josh, that you took Purdue. However, um, it is interesting to me. So as I as I get into this game, you mentioned it, uh, Michigan State, number three in the CFP rankings. Now, I'd actually have them number two um, based on their, their body of work to this point. Um, but a really, really well-accomplished team, predictively speaking, I actually have this as the best Michigan State team since the Spartans finished number 18 in my predictive numbers back in 2015, which is the last time Michigan State went to the college football playoff. Um, but on the flip side, I have this as the best Purdue team. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the pod since the Boilermakers finished number 32 in my numbers back in 2005. So, I mean, it's been 15 plus years since Purdue's had a team that, predictively speaking, um, has been this good. I've got this as the seventh best game of the slate, 78 game score. These are two teams that have have um, quality wins all over their resumes. I've got Michigan State with the ninth best win at home against Michigan and the 20th best win of the season on the road at Miami. Flip that over to Purdue at Iowa, 15th best win in the country at Nebraska, 22nd best win in the country. So these are definitely teams capable of winning games against good opponents. Um, but to me in this game, like I mentioned, it's it's all about defense. So that's why I was surprised to see Parker's uh, total number there. Uh, now Parker's been great and he's been very accurate with those. So this might surprise me. He he could be he could very well be right. Um, but I was surprised by that because to me these are two top twenty defenses. I've got Purdue's defense number sixteen, Michigan State's defense number twelve. Um, now Michigan State's offense I have as a top twenty five unit as well. So while I expect Purdue's defense to um, to be able to slow them down, uh, I do think Michigan State will have some success. Um, on the offensive side of the ball and probably rushing, right? King talked about um, Walker and, and the, the five touchdown explosion he had last week. Um, I expect him to be able to run a little bit. I, I know Purdue's defense is good against the rush in terms of success rate, but I do think if, if Michigan State's going to have success either rushing or passing, it will probably be rushing. But the difference in this game to me comes on the other side. Um, I mentioned Michigan State's good defense. Purdue's offense number 66, so dead, dead middle of the pack. Um, not particularly good rushing the ball. Uh, if they do have success, it will probably be passing. I have them middle of the pack in success rate passing, sub 100 in rushing, um, and Michigan State's defense probably better against the rush than the pass. So I do expect the Boilers to try to pass the ball. I expect Michigan State to be rushing the ball. Um, Michigan State, number 18 in the country in my predictive metrics. Purdue, number 44. I will say if Purdue does end up winning this game, they make a very good case to be ranked next week by the CFP in, in the top 25. Um I don't think it's going to happen, though. I've got Michigan State with a 61% win probability. That gives the Spartans four confidence points. So for the first time today, I am going against Josh in our picks, and it's the final game we're picking. So to recap, I'm on Michigan State for four. Josh is on Purdue for three. And Kinger getting the Boilers in there 
for one. So we've made it all the way through our 10 picks. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at WeHateYourTeam underscore and join our Pick'em group. Uh, it's the We Hate Your Team podcast on the ESPN app for your chance to win a shout out and potentially appear as a guest on the show. If you beat us consistently and at the end of the year, your totals are better than ours, we might just have to get you on the show as a guest. But at the very least, uh, if you win any given week like The Real Free did this week, you will get a shout out on this show. All right, Kinger, you ready to give your best bets for this week? Yeah, I'm ready to give them. And, and quite honestly, Kelly, I'm st- I'm still determining the card here, man. I actually have the only four plays locked in this point at this point heading into this weekend. So be sure to give me the follow on Twitter, zkinger20. I'm gonna you know tweet those out. I'm definitely gonna expand the card as we go. But this week, I'm still just not feeling overly confident with a lot of these plays. And you know, I've been trying to focus heavily on on the games that we're talking about. Um, so I, I have locked in Purdue plus three. I've locked in Oregon plus four and a half as an underdog. And then on the favorite side, I'm on Alabama minus 28 and a half. I just, you know, in, in, even against LSU team that's been relatively productive on the offensive side. I mean, I wouldn't say productive, but they've got a good quarterback in place. I just don't think that on the road they really stand much of a chance. And then my last bet that I'm rocking, I'm going to take Oregon in that rivalry game. You know, again, I think there's some emotion on it. And I just think the trenches are going to be the key factor that really influences that game. And I like offense, Oregon on both sides in that game. So, you know, a lot of people are projecting that to be one score. I think you both said it was probably going to be within one score. I like, I said, I, I'm a big fan of Chris Ball laying the hammer this week in the rivalry game. So um, going to work to expand, but just for right now on the pod, those are the only four I feel comfortable with throwing out right now. So that's what we're going to, we're going to rock with to start here. I love it. Josh, anything to add from the betting perspective, best bets, things you're looking at here this week? I think we've touched on most of it, which is that uh, I think the Purdue line is the one line to me that looks off. I mean, my, my general perspective, I'm not a betting guy. Uh, we you know we talk about the spreads, and I know in having heard some of your prior podcasts, you make the same point, right? I We build our metrics. We do our uh, projections. We don't do it with any eye towards Vegas or their lines, but I like to compare them to Vegas's lines. We actually have had people on Twitter recently start accusing us of using Vegas's lines to build our model, which is a little amusing to me. Uh, but it just means the fact that our model is doing, a, I think, a decently good job if it's projecting very close to Vegas. I feel like most of the Vegas's lines uh, this week are, frankly, are quite accurate. And, uh, you know, there's just not, I don't see a lot of value across the board. I think the value will come into play in the next few weeks in those big rivalry games because those. Those games, which are so emotional for a lot of people, the lines a lot of times are, you know, that's where I think sometimes there's a little bit of a line that starts hedging towards even money. Uh, And I think those games sometimes also when you have like undefeated teams have some bad projections or projections where teams are thought to be good just because they're thought to be good. Uh, And that's exactly what the Purdue game is this week in my mind with a with an undefeated team going against a team. That isn't thought as highly, uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of my thought as I would personally, I'd stay out of it until I see an edge. And I don't think this is the week in my mind to find an edge, basically just like King said. No, that makes sense. And yeah, you got to love when people on Twitter start accusing you of using Vegas, because as you said, your numbers are so closely aligned with them in most games. And just for the record out there, for anyone who wants to build their own model or get into predictive analytics, that's what you want. I mean, you want your line to be close to Vegas so that when you um, when you do see differentiations between your line and Vegas's line, ask yourself why. Is there a major injury I'm missing? Is something going on off the field that I don't know about? And if the answer to those questions is no, those are the games you need to highlight and you need to go say, okay, 
I know something for the first time or for one of the only times that Vegas doesn't or that the public doesn't. And those are the games you attack. So yeah, that's interesting. But Josh, thank you so much for being on. This has been fantastic. Want to give everyone um, just one more chance. If you want to just plug plug where you are, where can we find your work? How can we follow you? Um, let everyone know where, where can they find your work with College Football Nerds? Yeah, and again, uh, our so we're on Twitter at CFB Nerds is a good way to follow our day to day thoughts. But our main stuff is our podcast and YouTube channel. YouTube channel is College Football Nerds, pretty big channel. We mix it up with people in the comments a lot. We do a live show 10 p.m. We try to answer questions live uh, as to what happened that day, uh, and then we put it out in podcast form and all the major podcast platforms. Uh, our conceit is modeling; it is analytics. And to your point, right? Like we early this year, uh, we ran a model. I think it was Arkansas Texas. And it had that game as being really sneaky close, even though people perceive Texas to be, uh, you know, the better team. And then the line came out, and it wasn't that hard in Texas's uh, favor. And both of us, both of us were pretty hardcore that you, if you bet on that game, that was one to put money down on Arkansas. I got close to picking them to win. I didn't pick them to win outright, but I know that went. Uh, win against a lot of public perception but that is an example of what you're talking about when you do these ratings and lines most of the time you want it to be near vegas but there are some times where it won't be and a lot of times that's because you know vegas knows how to make their money and sometimes they want even money and get their juice but there's a lot of times they know people are going to hammer texas if they invite them to do so thinking the other team's going to win and it's all about finding the times and this is i think what we do a lot of times with our statistics right Find where the statistics don't match common perception. Find where, you know, like where they don't match Vegas's lines and where the every indication is everybody's thinking one way. So the answer is probably the other. Uh, and I, I think there's a lot of fun to be had with statistics and analytics, basically figuring out where they're all wrong and right. And that, that's something we really enjoy doing on our channel. I just want to put out for the record that I was one of those suckers who hopped on the Texas uh, game early this year. I loaded up on Texas versus Arkansas. That was a learning moment for me, and that's why I need to continue to evolve and follow the smart guys like you out there who actually use the math. And maybe I'll you know continue to do better. But hey, we're 500 in the podcast so far, so we're not doing terrible yet. But we're not making money, so we we got to find ways to make money. Like Josh said, I don't know if this is going to be the week, but hopefully we can pick a couple winners and find some games here. But yeah, I just want to echo what Kelly said, man. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. I look forward to following your guys' work here going forward. Absolutely. Thank you, Josh. Make sure you're following them at CFB Nerds on Twitter and their YouTube channel, College Football Nerds. Make sure you're following us at We Hate Your Team underscore on Twitter. Join our Pick'em group, the We Hate Your Team podcast on the ESPN app, and also subscribe to our newly formed YouTube channel, We Hate Your Team. This has been the We Hate Your Team podcast with K Ford and Kinger. Enjoy week 10 of the 2021 college football season. <laughs>